Welcome to The Brain Unwired. On this podcast, we discuss all things brain-related, from psychology and neuroscience to mental health and general well-being. You're listening to your favourite brain enthusiast, myself, Lucy. Me, Hadisa. And me, Chioma. Thank you for tuning in. this is she um just a quick interlude today's topic is about addiction um it's only by me and hadisa because lucy is at work um i feel like we didn't really give like a proper intro about what the topic is about before we started talking so this is just a quick heads up like this is actually like one of lucy's like really like um <laughs> you know a topic that she really enjoys and she would have contributed a lot so hopefully we'll have a part two because she is um, working, unfortunately, life has just gotten busy. So aligning our schedules is kind of long right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, hopefully next time she'll be able to add something to this pod. Um, anyway, yeah, let's start. Yeah, so today, like Kadisa just said, we're going to be talking about addiction. Um, I guess we should probably start it off with just like a quick definition of what addiction is, even though I'm sure most people know. But basically, um, addiction is defined as not having control over doing, taking or using something to the point where it could be harmful for you. So um, addiction is most commonly associated with things like gambling, drugs, alcohol and nicotine, but an addiction could essentially be anything. So yeah. you could be addicted to the internet, you could be addicted to shopping, solvent, yeah, um, foods, yeah. pornography, all the stuff that we probably don't even think about. Yeah, did you say work? Yeah, that's a massive one. Yeah, work. I feel like, you know, in this day and age, you know, grand culture, hashtag grand culture, always on the grand, grand and stuff. I feel like people are definitely addicted to work or like addicted to achieving a certain lifestyle. So mm-hmm. they become addicted to like work and then other things suffer like uh you know family life and raising children stuff like that which is extremely obviously detrimental yeah exactly so what causes addiction well there's a lot of different um I guess like theories or ideas on why addiction is caused so like for some people um being addicted it's essentially not a choice I feel like it's not a choice for anyone to be honest um but what happens is like a lot of people may use that substance or that thing as a means to maybe replace yeah reduce suffering yeah exactly and then it gets to a point where if they try and withdraw from that thing they oftentimes get like withdrawal symptoms or like a come down which is like Mm. unpleasant um bodily sensations or feelings which then (laughs) makes the cravings and the cycles continue but like yeah that's very true but like you know also so like there's a probably like the most prominent uh researcher slash practitioner within the field of addiction is um, Gabo Mate, I think, yeah, he's Hungarian originally, but he resides in Vancouver, Canada, and he's mm-hmm. done a lot of work. He's a retired um, doctor, and uh, he himself said that he was addicted to work for a very, very long time, and he couldn't give the time that he needed to his family and stuff, and now he's just, you know, he really focuses on addiction, um, and he, you know, basically says that 
society will tell you that addiction's a choice, but he doesn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, the medical model will tell you that it's a brain disease, but again, he doesn't believe that. And like you said before, it's just, it's, it's something that people use as a way to escape something or to reduce the suffering that they've experienced a lot of the time early on in life. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, like being addicted to something, anything, whatever it is, it's like you're not completely, it's like you're trying to fill a hole. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah which is probably where like the spirituality aspect comes in from like what Lucy was mentioning to us before we started this podcast um, with regards to the 12, 12 step method uh, for, you know, alcohol recovery. Like, like when you establish a sense of, spirituality and belief in something greater it gives you more of a purpose and it helps you connect with you know yourself and um like I don't know yeah like fill that fill fill a hole with yourself does that make sense yeah and then it kind of takes the place of the addiction sort of yeah yeah that makes sense Mm. I mean I don't know too much about so you see this this person you're talking about so he was addicted to work you said yeah, because he was a doctor for many, many years. I think he was in like his seventies now. And but he's then, done a lot of work in addiction. Did he mention like what he maybe did to like overcome it? Probably somewhere, but I haven't looked into <laughs> his, his life specifically. But just what he says about um, addiction and and its link with trauma, especially in childhood. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been reading a little bit about that as well. And they did say um, in like a few articles that I have read that one of the most common causes of addiction is childhood trauma, like you said. So um, it could be like all kinds of trauma, whether it's like abuse or neglect or even things like eating disorders. As a young person, it can then like trigger someone to be more predisposed to addiction. Mm. Um, And research basically showed that like trauma is repetitive. So when you've experienced trauma as a child, you're more likely to then repeat this trauma, but in a different way, I guess you could Mm. say, which in some ways your addiction may be that trauma manifesting, but just slightly differently. Yes. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like what you experience as a kid, like you need to, like that part of the work, well, the work is to not just think about what happened as a child and what made you Um, become addicted to this particular thing but also to understand how it manifests today Mm -hmm. and to try and combat that those those behaviors yeah and it's like you develop like unhealthy coping mechanisms because of your childhood trauma and then as an Mm. adult those coping mechanisms stay but Mm. um, there's also like some researchers who kind of believe that addiction has a bit more of a What's the word? They believe that addiction can also be due to like people's negative like self-perception and self-beliefs. So like for example, if we talk about like childhood trauma, um, they say that like children who've experienced trauma may develop negative beliefs about the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. And then they view themselves and others in a negative way, which has like a devastating impact on them as an adult. Because mm. as adults, like many survivors of abuse, then believe that they're like unworthy or they're bad. A large number of them blame themselves, and then they're often like turned to certain, let's say, substances, so like drugs or alcohol, in a bid to like self-medicate themselves from these like negative beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Because it's like when you're treated a certain way as a child, um, like say say if your if your if your parent is kind of horrible to you something 
then you might think as a child like if I'm being a hurt then I'm a terrible person mm-hmm. or if I'm being sexually abused and I can't fight that off then like I must be really weak you know and then they have to because they can't get that soothing element from their from their parents they turn to something else to to help soothe them mm-hmm. and even on more of a let's say like biological level as well like addiction impacts the brain on like so many levels so like it, it literally impacts like your chemical compounds so like the chemical compounds in let's say stimulants or nicotine or alcohol or sedatives like when they enter like the blood and like when they enter like the bloodstream sorry and like the brain um mm. these chemicals will like literally alter your brain and it, it messes up your your reward system as well yeah so, definitely like your childhood and your like attachment to your parents um severely affects your like the way your brain develops so like do you remember that study that they did in a Romanian I believe Romanian orphanage yeah and the kids had all been severely neglected yeah um and then they looked at the you know the 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 brain they looked they looked at the brain areas and they found that like the the primitive parts of the brain were mm-hmm. severe, were, were very um a lot more developed compared to like you know the prefrontal cortex and all like mm-hmm. you know that that side of the brain so yeah it really affects it really affects your brain chemistry man but luckily, luckily the brain exhibits neural plasticity so all <laughs> these things can hopefully you know in in some ways be reversed or in a lot of ways be reversed with, with the correct support and the correct help, which brings me on to like how society, um, like our societal models for addiction. Mm-hmm. What Gabo Mate says is that our approach, especially in like large Western cities, uh, like London and Vancouver and, you know, all these big cities where there's a lot of drug issues um, is completely wrong. It's just like a terrible treat, like a terrible approach because what you're essentially not doing is you're not, you're not helping people heal from their trauma right in that yeah you're just like even now where I'm where I work there I work with people with addiction issues yeah mm-hmm. and they can get drug and alcohol support like you know the work revolves around how to lessen alcohol I don't know maybe okay we'll reduce slowly but they cannot get counseling at the same time that they're doing that which they is ha- so strange get, yeah they only get counseling after they have more or less you know come off of the alcohol which makes zero sense because you are drinking because you are you have been traumatized you've been through these like traumatic experiences you're trying to fill a void um (laughs) so you need the counseling you can't just be like okay I'm just gonna casually like stop my drinking slowly if there's no reason to and that's probably why a lot of people relapse like relapse is like so common because it's like they've been given all this support and like let's say reducing the alcohol intake or whatever and they finally yeah. get to like a quote-unquote stable place with the alcohol mm-hmm. but not in terms of like dealing with the actual like emotions or issues or whatever it is you know like whether it's self-regulation or like whatever the problem like actually I'm is no I was gonna say I've noticed that a lot um but I didn't actually think about it until right now that you've said that because I I there are some services affiliated with my work as well and it's mm-hmm. like we can't see people if their drug and alcohol intake is over a certain level and instead we have to like refer them to a service specifically for drug and alcohol use before they can get like talking therapy yeah it doesn't work like at all it's, it's very similar to the prison system you know it, you 
it doesn't rehabilitate people it just keeps people like you know like the prison system for example it just keeps people locked away it doesn't do any job of rehabilitating that's why the um reoffending rates are so high like you know if you're addicted to a substance that's why you know it really doesn't work very well like the recovery rates are so low because you're not getting the proper support that you need it's really I don't know it's very it's very strange but essentially you know society deems people who are addicted to something addicted to certain things that they deem unacceptable so if you're addicted Mm -hmm. to drugs and alcohol you know then you're deemed a criminal yeah if you're addicted to work or you're addicted to pornography or you're addicted to you know any of these other things then you're completely fine yeah Yeah. that's that's where the problem lies because like even if you think about just like the language that people use when they're talking about maybe like drug addicts or like alcoholics it's always like very negative and like Mm -hmm. self-depreciating and like just not positive at all and obviously people internalize those kinds of thoughts and that probably also kind of reduces their chances of wanting to even comply with like a treatment program as well yeah 100% and they're just pushed to the margins of society and when you're there it's like like you're not getting any of the help you know normal people don't want to really talk to you or really acknowledge your existence so you're only going to you know interact with other people who are in the margins of society as well um who also do those behaviors yeah it's messed up but you know even speaking to like you know my peers or you know just everyday people about you know their opinions on addicts who consume like drugs and alcohol people are very very negative like people don't really don't understand what addiction is Mm kind of like oh why should I give my money to this person if they're just going to spend it on alcohol like it's like you have a real simplistic naive ignorant view of of addiction yeah and And it's it becomes a problem as well because let's say like one person is an addict there's like a lot of like genetic studies that show that like if you're like for example let's say you have drug dependence then your offspring may your offspring your children may inherit like an increased likelihood or like vulnerability to developing the dependence on the same substances that you have um I don't know if everyone necessarily believes in like the genetic studies but it has actually been shown a lot when they've looked at like family studies versus like adoption studies or like twin Mm -hmm. studies I can see that being like an epigenetic modification that occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like there's but been quite a few. Sense. There's been quite a few studies on it. Um, there was one I was reading about the other day, and they found that like over one third, so it was like roughly thirty six to forty percent of relatives of a person who had an alcohol use disorder, they mm-hmm. were then diagnosed with an alcohol use disorder mm-hmm. later on in life, but other people who didn't have family members there was only like 15 percent of them who were diagnosed later yeah because if you think about it you grow up in a house where your your parent or your parents are addicted to alcohol yeah for example that that's going to impact their parenting on you yeah True. Your parent, the parenting is not going to be a1 plus you're in that uh, environment where they might even have you know other people in the house coming around to drink and like you know they, they do anything you, you do a lot to kind of sustain your habit um, and your addiction right yeah. so the document issues or themselves they're going to experience like very traumatic events within that you know just even just in the interactions that they have with their parents 
Exactly. So then they will turn to the alcohol and use it as a coping mechanism as well. I think a lot of the people that I have personally worked with, they would report that their parents or their parent um, also consumed alcohol. Mm. But then what do you think? So like, for example, you see how um, certain drugs are legal, but then others aren't. So like, for example, alcohol is a drug, but like, yeah. that's legal. And mm. like, then you've got other drugs, like you've got like cannabis, you've got um, just all, all the other different drugs that are legal, yeah. right? Like, so yeah. what do you what do you think? Like, do you think that all drugs should be prohibited? And do you think it would have like an impact to maybe like addiction levels or... No, I don't think they should prohibit them. I think all drugs should be legalized because firstly, if you're addicted to drug drugs and you're criminalized for it, then that mm-hmm. that isn't giving you the help that you need. You're just chucked in prison for, you know, mm-hmm. for your addiction. That's not that's not going to help any sort of situation. If you yeah. if you legalize them and uh, provide the proper support for people who are addicted, you know, the proper support programs, then that will help re- reduce uh, addiction rates and um, hopefully the recovery rates would, would increase as well with the correct support. But yeah, that's what I think. Some countries have already done that and uh, I think Portugal have done it. I haven't actually looked at the statistics, um, but I have reason to believe that um, by monitoring um, the drug use, they have been able to reduce addiction rates. But, you know, kind of, make the situation a bit better because yeah. you're not criminalizing people for their addiction if it's a mental health like imagine being chucked in prison for your mental health issue imagine being chucked in prison <laughs> for for being depressed exactly <laughs> do, you know I mean? do you know what I mean it's like you're traumatized already and then you do something you're trying to help yourself by um like that's your solution that's like the solution to help like ease your suffering and then you're being criminalized so you're being traumatized even more and also obviously once like let's say someone is an addict they commit a crime like they commit a crime to feed their addiction let's say and then they end up going to prison like you said now they've come out of prison and they also have a criminal record along with the fact that they're still an addict so like that makes things 10 times harder and it's like I don't know it just it's kind, it's kind of crazy when you actually think about the way like the system works it's not made to rehabilitate it's not made to rehabilitate like at all yeah so kind of just like feeding off what you said about like addiction being like a mental illness essentially and like how you wouldn't criminalize someone for having depression I think that's something that really needs to be emphasized because I feel like people kind of do forget that there is a biological aspect to addiction like it's not all just social it's not this person is going through this and they've decided to do this like it literally it it changes your brain and like we briefly touched upon earlier oftentimes like the things that make it harder for people to overcome their addiction is actually the withdrawal symptoms mm-hmm. it's like for example if you look at like any studies that look like brain addiction and withdrawal like they'll show that like over time like a high volume of the chemicals in your brain essentially start to change your reward system they they reduce the production of neurotransmitters or chemical messages in the brain and then the withdrawal symptoms often intensify and if they're not treated then they can lead to either relapse or risks of like stroke or heart attack and I feel like people forget that there's actually like a biological aspect to addiction as well yeah definitely I think it's just a complete misunderstanding on what you know addiction is like I said before so it's kind of you know 
ironic that you know people are compa- campaigning to reduce the stigma in mental health but it's only specific mental health disorders that they want to reduce the stigma for and you can't do that yeah and then oftentimes as well like people who are addicts have like other mental health difficulties too so it's like a lot of which then also makes things a lot more a lot more tricky but then I guess somebody could hear us talking about this and they would be like okay so like what's the solution like what do you guys suggest but like I would say there kind of needs to be like a complete reform of like the way people with addictions are are treated in a in a sense like kind of like what you said I don't feel like they can isolate the problem of addiction without addressing the other areas as well but we get stuck in these we get stuck especially within medicine you know I feel we get stuck in just the normal like the ways of doing things Mm -hmm. even if it's not working it just gets stuck in this like medical model that just you know sometimes doesn't work so even let's take it on a little bit of a tangent even like depression so you so you want if you're depressed yeah you'll go and you'll most likely get some sort of uh, SSRI selective Mm -hmm. serotonin reuptake inhibitors um medicaid that's medication and then you'll get like some sort of therapy probably like cbt and then if you're lucky you can go uh, if you can pay for it you can go and get your own therapy right so that's the that's the treatment for depression yeah but depression especially people with treatment resistant depression because that can happen so what what if you're uh, re- uh, resistant to this treatment depression also has massive links with inflammation and I know we were talking about this <laughs> on the group chat the other day but it's it's true and there's you know there's a lot of evidence and research out there there are even like small clinics you know in parts of the country that are trialing you know treatment methods for this but it's like this isn't widespread or you know people aren't really talking about the other causes for you know mental health issues that we're experiencing so essentially what I'm saying is we need to be able to be flex, like the system needs to be flexible and adaptable to change and, mm-hmm. you know, adaptable, open to trialing other methods and open yeah. to like, yeah. you know, doing other things, but it's very difficult. <laughs> it's just, I think it's a very difficult thing to do. And the NHS, unfortunately, don't have the freedom to be able to do that right now. I mean, that is, that is true, but I think, one thing I've noticed as well is obviously like you have clinicians who are very, very, very well trained, very well educated. And some of them have been practicing for like mm. my lifetimes too, that I mm. feel like there's, there's a lot of practitioners who aren't even open to the idea of something different as well, because they're so set in their ways and they've had so many patients or so many people who this one area of treatment has worked for. And again, like CBT is a perfect example because it's it's always the first choice for a lot of things when it's like not everyone is going to benefit from cbt especially i mean to be honest i know they don't necessarily offer cbt to addicts straight away but especially people with like disorganized lifestyles for example they're not going to benefit from cbt at all like activity scheduling and like all these like motivational exercises like it's going to have no impact would it would the model like the medical model of treating mental disorders be better if they didn't have like a one-size-fits-all approach but more so like different um places doing different things so for example like you'll have 
CBT in like, I don't know, a few clinics doing CBT. You have a few <laughs> clinics doing like, I don't know, some other sort of therapy and some other mm-hmm. clinics focusing on like treatment resistant depression, some other clinics, do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. not just like a, everyone gets channeled down the same stream. I also feel like things need to be more easily accessible though, because you know the amount of people I've had to, I've had say to me like, they want therapy, but they don't even know how to get it accessibility to think like for example me who who works in this field like I always bang on about how much like I love acceptance and commitment therapy if you asked me like what place would even offer that I can't even answer you because I literally do not know anywhere like no places do do it but like off the top of my head if I knew someone who wanted that therapy I wouldn't even know where to direct them and that's also a problem I've, I've noticed with a lot of GPs like a lot of GPs they're great people great doctors but they they aren't really um they're like trained obviously very generally and also very much in like a medical sense not psychological I mean I know they aren't psychiatrists but like a lot of the time they often refer people to the wrong places like I remember when I was 19 and I went off to the GP for help and they just gave me a leaflet Mm. you know hopefully things have changed since you were 19 though hopefully I mean, I saw yeah. a thread on Twitter the other day about people bashing the NHS and they were saying similar things, like some of these mm. people were suicidal and they got told to download Headspace. So like, can you imagine? Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, like, can you imagine for like an addict, you know, like not only are they having like these mental health problems, but then also they could be having physical health problems as a result of mm. their addiction. And then they have social isolation, maybe they're homeless, in debt. Mm. <laughs> There was this documentary that I saw on um, YouTube about like homeless people in Brighton and like pretty much all of them are like addicted to um, drugs in some form or another, like whether it was alcohol, whether it was heroin, whether it was like crystal meth or whatever. But Mm. what also made things more difficult for some of them was actually the fact that they were homeless because um, there was this one woman and she wanted to go to this like service that helps treat addicts. But you need an address, like you need like a place of residence. Mm, yeah, that's, that's also an issue. But that, that's that's the thing that catches people out. People think like that government or whatever, you know, these services, they're slick because it's like, oh, you only get support if you have this, 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 this and this, you know, it's difficult to get out of a bad situation, man. It's very difficult. But when I heard that, like, obviously, I'm sure not everywhere is like that. But when I heard that, I thought like that literally does not make any sense like at all because the reason why they're homeless is most likely due to their addiction or their addiction could be exacerbating in their homelessness can people be addicted to i think pornography is a big one yeah that is that is a big one but i feel like that is one that people kind of like recognize yeah or they at least kind of like they would be more willing to recognize that as a problem versus like someone who was addicted to maybe shopping or like work you know oh okay yeah you what do you think people would recognize that as a problem I feel like it's like more readily like if like if someone was like oh I have a porn addiction I feel like somebody might take that a little bit more seriously than someone who was literally like oh I'm addicted to work and then people be like oh no but that's a good thing even if that person who's addicted to work is literally like because a positive thing essentially like but even they're addicted to like depression and anxiety and like all, all of these problems you know and yeah. that's I feel like that's a huge issue nowadays like because of the society that we live in and because like you said there's like grind culture mm. and it's kind of like instilled in us that like 
if you're not making money, you're wasting your time type of thing. Yeah. Food addiction. I feel oh like gosh. that is heavily like misinterpreted as well because like obesity, like it's very stigmatized as well, isn't it? Because it's like obesity is also an illness like anorexia, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not treated the same. Well, it's not regarded as the same, should I say? No, not at all. But that's also an addiction because you're filling a void with your the food, but people don't see it that way. But you want to know why that's the case, yeah? Like, okay, so if we're going to talk about like food addiction and like mm. obesity and things like that, our society and some people are going to roll their eyes hearing me say this but our society is very fat phobic and that is the root of all of the problems when it comes to like why food addiction isn't seen as an addiction because you have and I've seen people say this on Twitter so this is real life experiences people who are overweight or bigger and they present to the doctor with an issue like a physiological issue and then the doctor will tell them oh it's because of their weight and there was this woman who went to the doctor they told her that um she was like having breathing issues because of her weight it turns out she actually had pneumonia which had Mm. absolutely nothing to do with the fact she was overweight and it wasn't treated until the the pneumonia almost killed her you know yeah that's messed up I definitely agree with that fat phobic you know argument but I also think yeah and a lot of people, those are maybe as controversial for certain people. But I also think, like, a lot or some of the body positive, body, sorry, body positivity movement doesn't help because it's like, if we're saying that overeating is an addiction, then we should treat it as such. You know, we can't just celebrate people's unhealthy, unhealthy body and addiction. Does that make sense? if you're normalizing if you're normalizing something then that means oh it's okay to it's okay to eat a lot and fill this void and it's okay to it's okay to do that do you know what I mean when in fact it's not okay and you need to actually seek the proper help and heal and recover Mm -hmm. I I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with being you know overweight if you're healthy you know yeah but I feel like at all I feel like a lot of the time people who are overweight aren't necessarily healthy. Like there are some people who I'm sure like if they had a blood test, it would come back fine and they don't actually have many health issues. But Mm. then if we take it away from like a physiological health perspective, there are a lot of people who are overweight who their mental health isn't healthy, you know, and it's because this, this food addiction and they're using food as a crutch to mask other problems in their lives. And then that is asked to, exacerbates itself and it's kind of exactly. like a and if anybody doesn't know what this is the body positive movement was a movement that was specifically made by bigger people for bigger people I just want to like reiterate that because there have been people on social media who are slim who have spoken about like body positivity and used that hashtag and they've got like a lot of um like slack for it because you'll then have people who are like oh this wasn't made for you so it's, it's kind of the same as like BLM and then people start saying like Asian lives matter and then people like know the hashtag is stop Asian hate so just some context there but um Mm. I do agree with the idea of that movement being in place but to an extent where there are some people who are bigger and they promote body positivity but what they're promoting isn't the lifestyle of overeating or the lifestyle of food addiction but it's more the aspect of loving your body in every stage that it's in 
So even if you are overweight and you're actively trying to do something to lose that weight, not hating your body in that moment in time, like that's what some of like that's what a lot of them who I follow, for example, promote. Like there's this girl called Maya on TikTok. She has like almost half a million followers and she's trying to lose weight, but she's also mm-hmm. teaching them that in your journey to lose weight, it's okay to have like roles. It's okay to have cellulite. Yeah, of course. I agree with that. But again, there are a lot of people who won't acknowledge the fact that they are addicted to food. And then, sorry to go off on a tangent, but it's still related to addiction. Then what will happen is a lot of these people who do have food addictions then develop like really unhealthy relationships with food in the process in terms of weight loss. So they'll start going on like all these fad diets or like severe, severe calorie restriction. And then the food addiction comes back. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But anyway, with addiction, there's there's a lot to talk about and a lot of different types of addiction, but we might do a part two, but with Lucy, because um, Hadisa briefly mentioned earlier, but there's like a spiritual aspect as well that um, has been researched a lot. And there's a lot of like interesting stuff that we could probably discuss, but yeah, just in, in, probably in, like more in relation to like recovery. Yeah, yeah. We'll speak more like more about recovery and we'll have like Lucy come on, but yeah, that's just our two our two cents on addiction at the moment. We hope you guys enjoyed. It'd be really interesting to hear some of you guys' um, opinions on some of the stuff we've said. Like, like, what do you think is the answer, quote unquote, to help addicts or like reduce addiction? Do you think they should be criminalised? Do you think they shouldn't? Like, what do you think about food addiction? What do you think about work addiction? But also, I would say just be very aware of like your biases and your ignorance towards you know addiction and you know that sort of thing because mm-hmm. I think that's that's the first step in actually like reducing the stigma in mental health you know um mm-hmm. because essentially it is a mental health issue you can't pick and choose what mental health issues you want to normalize and what ones you want to keep stigmatized so you know if you want to educate yourself more on addiction I would strongly recommend Gabo Mate there's a lots of um he has several books but also um, there's a lot of um, really accessible and available videos on YouTube that you can watch and gain more insight. But yeah, so that's it for today, guys. We will see you in a few weeks' time and stay tuned what the topic will be. Cheerio. <laughs>